Welcome to the Hidden Why podcast. This is episode 879, my interview with Eric Barker. This is a repeat episode, guys. I hope you enjoy. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Hidden Why podcast. My name is Lee Martinuzzi, and I'm pumped and excited. Today, I have Eric Barker with me. How are you, Eric? Very good. Thank you. Mate, whereabouts are you in the world? Uh, Los Angeles, California. Los Angeles. So what is it? Uh, mid to late afternoon there now? Evening? Uh, yeah, it's uh, early evening. It's like 7 o'clock. Okay. You had dinner yet? No, not yet. I've, I'm looking forward to it, though. What are you having? Anything exciting? Uh, probably have a couple burgers with a friend. Okay. We'll go out? Yeah. Yeah, cool. So, mate, uh, you've been a busy man uh, with a book launch. You've got a book coming out on the 16th of May. Uh, called Barking Up the Wrong Tree. I've just received a copy in the mail myself, so I look forward to having a read. Uh, but I, I assume that's uh, keeping you pretty busy. Yeah, it's my first book. I'm really excited to to get it out there. I want to uh, basically. It's all about the. It's all about a lot of the myths we have about success. I dive down into the research and try and try and get some clear answers on what success really means in the modern era. Okay, cool. Well, that's certainly um, something we can talk about today. So tell us, uh, Eric, what, what is your background? What, do you, what have you been doing up until, you know, this book? Well, that, that's the interesting thing is that, you know, uh, the book focuses on a lot of the myths of, of success because we got a lot of pithy sayings out there, you know, like, it's not what you know, it's who you know, nice guys finish last, uh, quitters never win, winners never quit. And my background is, uh, you know, pretty, pretty unconventional in a lot of ways. I was actually a screenwriter in Hollywood for a number of years. Uh, then I uh, worked in video game marketing, and then I was uh, totally focused on my blog, and now I'm writing my first book, and I just found that a lot of the these little maxims of success, uh, you know, were, were not tailored to my life. I think they're not tailored to a lot of people's lives, uh, so I, I I wanted the answers myself, so I kind of went down the rabbit hole to, to figure out if all these little sayings we, we get about success are really true or not, because I, on my journey, I didn't feel like they applied to me. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So scratching your own itch. Exactly. And just hoping to, to share whatever I found with others. Yeah, mate. I love it. Um, so what, what are you really passionate about in life? What, what, what fires you up? What ignites you? I love learning. I, I love learning. And I mean, that's really the focus of my blog is, you know, so much information on the internet uh, about how to live a better life and, and, uh, you know, we don't know how much of it is, is, is true. So, you know, I focus on, uh, looking at the academic research, looking at books, talking to experts in their field, uh, top academics or, or other, you know, clear, clear experts beyond reproach and trying to get, uh, some real answers, uh, on how to live a better life, uh, in areas from happiness to productivity to, you know, resilience to relationships and et cetera. Yeah. I like it. Certainly, uh, it's sort of my journey as well, you know, just figuring out life and how to create the best life I can as it, as it matters to me, I suppose. Um, certainly sounds like something that you've, you've been working on as well. So what, what have been some of your, maybe, you, you know, your top three lessons that you've discovered, you know, over your journey of, of how to live a better life? Um, I mean, a number of, a number of things, a lot, a lot of things. Um, I mean, a few, a few that, that uh, I've personally applied that I find are really powerful is uh, speaking to Sonia Lubomirsky, who's a leading researcher on happiness. She's at the University of California at Riverside. Uh, just about the in- incredible power of gratitude, because we usually think we need to acquire things to, to, uh, to be happier. And the truth is that, you know, being grateful for what you have 
doesn't doesn't require anything physical. It's just a perspective shift. And and when you when you're grateful, when you have an attitude of gratitude, um, you know, it's just it just makes you appreciate life for makes you happier. It's and the research backs it up uh, past that. I would say in terms of productivity, uh, a really powerful thing I learned from Cal Newport, who's a professor at Georgetown University, uh, is the author of a great book called Deep Work. Um, uh, yes. Yeah, he uh, uh, he thinks to-do lists are evil, and I agree with him. And the reason for that is because to-do lists don't think about time. So you can you can have uh, you can have a to-do list for today that that it has 28 hours of activity, and of course, there's only 24 hours in a day. So you're never going to get to the bottom of it. So rather than doing to-do lists by scheduling everything, you're cognizant of how much time you actually have to get stuff done. And you can you can be realistic about what's going to get done and prioritize better. And um, the third thing I would say uh, I learned from um, I've interviewed a number of uh, of uh, uh, special operations uh, soldiers uh, from Navy SEALs to Army Rangers to special forces and it was really interesting that that all three of them said uh, said that in terms of resilience and grit, how they got through uh, the rigorous training that they've gone through, all three of them who don't know each other uh, all said that when they're in a really tough situation, they look at it like a game. They don't they don't look at it like it's this this terrible, threatening, awful thing. They they perceive it as a game, and that helps them keep an attitude where they where they keep going and they don't give up. Hmm, interesting. So, firstly, just on, on gratitudes, um, you know, it's it's quite popular in the world today. A lot of people talk about you know having an attitude of gratitude. What is your particular practice around having a you know a, a gratitude practice? What do you do? Uh, well, Martin Seligman at the University of Pennsylvania uh, did some research, and one of the one of the most uh, it's been replicated. One of the most proven ways to uh, to have an attitude of gratitude is uh, before you go to bed, have a pen and paper uh, right next to uh, right on the night table there, and uh, think of three good things that happened to you that day and write them down before you go to sleep. Mm. And after doing this, a few weeks, a few months later, uh, consistently, people are happier because they're just taking the good things that happened to them and they're they're making them more salient. They're they're putting those. For those those things up front, top of mind, and you know if you're if you're thinking about the good things that happened, you know you're more likely to feel grateful, and you feel more grateful, you feel happier. So it's as as simple as writing three good three good things down before you go to bed. Okay, so that's that's a practice you do daily. Absolutely, every night. Okay, what what sort of things do you write down? Like it's it's one of those things sometimes that you know I personally find difficult to say. Hey, well, what am I grateful for today? Other than, you know, the most common things. And I've also heard that it's good to, you know, try and change it up and not always, you know, use the same things. But what, what sort of things do you write about? Uh, I think I think you're you're absolutely right. Uh, that's that's one of the issues is if you get into kind of a, you know, if you're writing down the same things every night, then it, it, it starts to feel a little too routine and like forceful. Um, Exactly. And, and, and it doesn't it doesn't have pack the same punch. Mm. Uh, what I do to kind of counter that is is it doesn't have to be something big. It doesn't have to be something earth shattering. You know, it can, it can be finding, finding a good parking spot, you know, just, just to make, something that makes you feel lucky. Something that makes you feel, you feel good. Uh, you know, getting a text from a friend, it can be the simplest, littlest things, but because the end goal is not that every day you have to have three momentously wonderful things. 
the goal is just to be more focused on the positive. And so, so you don't have to slay a dragon every day and write that down. You just want to be more cognizant of the simple little good things that are happening. And, and again, you don't, you don't want it to get repetitive and rote. Yeah. It's, it's the things in life that we often take for granted because we're so rushed about, you know, living towards the future and we forget about the now. And I think that's probably the greatest sacrifice that we can make. I mean, absolutely. Because, you know, that, that is, if you think about the small stuff, you appreciate it, you know, that's, that's a great counter to taking things for granted because when you take things for granted, you're just upping the stakes and mm. eventually you're, you're not going to be able to top them. And then, you know, life's going to be a little grayer and that's what we're trying to avoid. Yeah. Yeah. So just being content with what you have and how life is and the moments. I mean, I, I sort of find, you know, an awareness certainly has helped me just to sort of pause and appreciate the things like, you know, eating a boiled potato for frick's sake. I just enjoy it so <laughs> greatly now. Uh, the other, the other day I've just had one actually. And the other day I had one and it just paused and I, it was just so creamy and delicious. And it was just, uh, you know, that, that sort of awareness there that was present and being grateful for that as well. I mean, I, I think you see an enormous amount of research now on mindfulness and, you know, its ability to, to keep us in the moment and appreciating things. Because if you look at a lot of the work by Dan Gilbert at Harvard, you see that, you know, a, a wandering mind is generally an unhappy mind. You know, when we're when we're, our brain is bouncing around, you know, uh, if you look at the neuroscience research on the default mode network of the brain, basically when we're when we're bouncing around in our heads, we're, we're generally not happy. We're far happier when we are thinking about the present and we're far happier when we're focused on something, when we're immersed in that, that state of flow, as they call it, mm. you know, is, is a much more positive uh, state than, you know, uh, bouncing around and, and thinking about the future and the past rather than what's in front of you. Absolutely. Do you, do you think it's um, a case that we're just so spoilt in the, in the modern world with, with choice and, you know, abundance of stuff? Uh, there's no doubt. I mean, if you look at uh, research uh, by Barry Schwartz at Swarthmore, uh, he's got an excellent book called The Paradox of Choice. And there's this ironic effect where, you know, the the more time we spend trying to optimize uh, things, uh, the you know, and, and get the best, uh, there, there's an ironic effect where uh, when you look at students who 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 try to get students graduating, the ones who really spend the most time trying to get the absolute best job with the absolute highest salary, two things happen. Number one, they do get better jobs that, that, pay, that pay more. So objectively, they do better, but they feel worse. Hmm. And you know, when, you, when you look at all these options, because what that creates is this feeling of, I could have done better, I've got to do better, and you start comparing and comparisons can be lethal to, to happiness. It creates states like envy. So those choices are, are problematic because in the past we had limitations created for us. And those limitations now, now nobody, nobody thinks that they like limitations, but at least limitations allow you to say, Hey, I did the best I could. It's not my fault. But when you have endless choices, what happens is if you don't get the best, it is your fault because you could have spent more time, you could have done better, and then everything starts to be your fault. Mm. And that's not that's not a happy state. So what happens is when we have too many choices, very often we do better but feel worse. Yeah, right. That's uh, that's crazy. 
Um, so, look, I like the uh, idea of gratitude. Any other practices that you've heard of that might um, you know, be significant for, for the benefit of the audience? Uh, well, uh, what's, what's interesting is, uh, is I, I think a really, a really good kind of like ritual and routine uh, is to have more rituals and routines. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I, I think it's maybe that's kind of like a meta answer to the question. But, um, you know, ha- when you when you cultivate good habits, uh, you know, you're just going to spend more of your time doing the right things. And when you ritualize those habits, then they take on a level of meaning. They're, they're not just you're not just blindly following something like a computer program. You know, when you ritualize it, it, it has meaning it has importance. There's there's feeling to it. And that really takes it to to another level where you're you're engaging in something that that has a more profound aspect to it. So uh, so the, the 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 ritual routines that I would sort of recommend is just taking more of the activities that you want to do, turning them into habits and then ritualizing them so that they they are something you do every day or whenever they need to be done and that they they have a level of meaning to you and I think that makes you more productive and it makes you happier. Do you think like operating, you know, sort of like clockwork daily, doing the same things, you know, at certain times throughout the day, that takes away a bit of that um, spontaneity from life and that 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 bit of spice of life? Uh, I think I mean, I, I think there's definitely a point there, but I think we can I think we can find a balance. One of the things I talk about in in my book is that there's there's the issue, you know, the old maxim of, of you know, winners never quit and quitters never win. And the truth is that, you know, either extreme is is bad and you need to strike a balance between the two, because if you never quit anything, uh, you'd 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 still be doing everything you were doing when you were six years old. And if you constantly are trying new things, then you're never going to get very good uh, at anything. Hmm. So I I think, you know, there's there's a good balance yep. where you're spending a lot of your time in deep work, in focus, you know, uh, hopefully using deliberate practice to garner skills in an area that, that you are interested in, that you're naturally good at. But then you're also taking, you know, maybe five or 10 percent of your time and using what uh, what Peter Sims calls little bets, where you're trying new stuff, you're giving things a shot. And you know that, you know, if you try 10 things, you'll probably, you know, Seven of them probably won't work out. Two of them might work out okay, and that tenth one might be the next big thing for you. It, it, it might it might be something that might become a new hobby, might become a new career, might become a new passion project. So I think you don't want to obviously like you know be a, turn yourself into a robot that's just following habit after habit. Uh, you want to balance it out where you're spending a fair amount of time doing things consistently, you know, hard work to move yourself forward. But you also want to have a playful attitude where you're you're trying some new things so that you're always learning and growing. Yeah, I, I certainly like you know routines and and rituals. They certainly give me a lot more discipline and it gives me a lot more um, control over over the desires I pursue and the desires I avoid, uh, which I think is is beneficial. But yeah, I like the idea of being sort of having that that flexibility in life as well. What what is it about balance? Because I often hear this, you know, it's all about balance. But some people argue that there is there is no such thing. It's one way or the other way. And a lot of people, you know, at the same time, say that balance is is what it's all about. Is is that your thoughts? I I mean I think that balance is is critical because you know uh, things change. You know, life life is change, 
And, you know, if, if you were totally focused on horse and buggies, well, when the car came around, you know, you were, you were dead in the water. So, <laughs> you know, you, you've got to be thinking about change. But again, you don't want to be a total flake. Uh, nor do you want to be somebody who is an automaton doing the same things with their head stuck in the sand. Mm. So I think ba- balance is something, but, but balance is a personal, a personal thing. And I think it's something we acquire gradually over time. Um, you know, so it's not, there's, I don't think there's any simple immediate formula, but I think there, there is kind of a, you know, once you discover uh, the thing you want to be gritty at. And we, we do that by little bets. You try a lot of different things. You see what works, what interests you, where your natural strengths lie. Yep. And then you start, you know, increasing the time that you spend on those things uh, to 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 basically, you know, build that 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 thing that you're really going to focus on. Yeah. So I guess it's, it's sort of finding a balance as it matters to you personally. So, you know, connecting with what's important to you and and finding the balance that is purposefully going to take you towards that, that greater level of of life as, as it matters to you. Um, and, you know, I look at, you know, something like um, going vegetarian, you know, I mean, is there, a, is there a need to go fully vegetarian? I mean, is, is a bit of balance between eating meat and eating vegetables a, a good thing? Um, but again, it depends on the individual and, and their sort of perspectives on life and, and how it relates to how good they can live their life. Is that right? I mean, you know, it's, I think, you know, for for specifically for something like, you know, vegetarianism, it's like, you might want to think about, you know, what's, what's the purpose behind it? I mean, some people are vegetarians, uh, for, for, uh, health reasons, other people because of, uh, ethics reasons. And I think, you know, taking the time to think about the underlying goal, you know, then it really becomes critical because if it's an, if it's an ethical issue, uh, then you, you, you wouldn't want to have a balance because you'd be, you'd be breaking, uh, you'd be violating one of your personal values yeah. on the flip side. Right. If it's, if it's a health issue, uh, you know, one, one can make an argument that, uh, animal protein is, is, you know, is, is good for the human body. You need a certain amount of it, but you know, too much of it, you know, might be problematic. So I think looking at the underlying reasoning, your, your personal values, I think that's critical in determining, you know, where, where, where balance is required. Yeah, you make a really good point. So as it require, as it, so balance as it matters to your values, um, is, is important. Um, yeah, certainly around, around those aspects. So I like, yeah, I like that thought going back to an earlier point you made on productivity. Um, so certainly, you know, the no to do list, what other things have you learned as far as effectiveness is concerned and why is, you know, being effective in, in what you do, um, essential in your opinion? I mean, you know, in the end, all, all, you know, all we have is, is time. And, uh, if you go back to the ancient stoic philosopher Seneca, you know, he, he basically says it's, it's not that life is short. It's just that we waste so much of it. Yeah. And, you know, where, where you spend your time, you know, is to a large degree where, where you are, you know, who you are and, you know, what, what you're doing is who you are. So another really good uh, tip, and this also ties into the concept of balance, is uh, again from Cal Newport, is uh, he uses a concept called fixed schedule productivity, where he says he starts with uh, at what time do I want to end the day? So you know if you want to if you want to stop working at 5 p.m. say, yeah. and then he works and then he works backwards and he says okay well if I want to be out of here by five, you know looking backwards how much time do I have realistically? How long are my key priorities going to take? 
And how do I slot those in to make sure that the things that are important uh, actually get done and the things that are not so important? Well, hey, I move those to tomorrow or maybe I don't do them at all. So I think that idea of fixed schedule productivity is something where you can you can make sure that you're getting the things done that really matter, because a lot of us are just running around doing lots of stuff. Yeah. But we're not doing what's really going to move the needle. Mm, absolutely. Um, so much of us are doing that. And, and I think in, in, in all aspects of life, not just as it matters to work, but in, in life in general, which I think takes away a lot of the, the beauty of, of, of this life is because we're just so busy and we're chasing towards all this other stuff that just has no relevance at the end of life, uh, at least in my view. And, and certainly one question that I've started to ask is, does this really matter? I mean, will this really matter at the end of my life? And if the answer is a clear no, then it's just not worth pursuing. I, I totally agree. Um, there was an informal study uh, uh, done by, I believe her name was uh, Bronnie Ware, and she mm. worked hospice, and she basically looked at what were the most common regrets of people on their deathbed. Oh, yes, I love it. Yeah, and the number one thing was people saying, I wish I had lived a life true to myself, you know, not the life that was prescribed to me by others. And so... So having priorities, personal priorities, personal values, knowing what's important to you and not just merely following, you know, what society prescribes us to do or the people around us prescribe us to do or our employer. You know, that's really critical for what you're talking about, which is, um, you know, being able to look back on life and, and having as few regrets as possible. Yeah. So, yeah, finding finding purpose as it, as it relates to you and your values and what's what's important really at the end of it. Um, and certainly, you know, thinking, acting and, and doing in, in that sense uh, is really important. I, I also think, you know, going back to the to-do lists, um, you know, I was a, a manager previously in my career and certainly I found to-do lists, people became very reliant on them. And when they were without to-do lists, they were really ineffective. They didn't really know what to do. So they become reliant on these to-do lists. Do you think it relates to us individually as well? Like when we write our own to-do lists, we become so reliant on them that suddenly if we're without, we sort of... I don't know, neglect to use that part of our brain that sort of remembers what's important and what to do and, and we've become more guided by this external list. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think it, it really depends upon, upon uh, how people build those lists. And mm. I mean, a lot of people just throw stuff down. And, you know, it's, it's, an, it's an issue of priorities in terms of, you know, really knowing what's, what's important. One thing I do is, uh, you know, part of my morning ritual is determining what the what the number one thing is that day. Where if I get that thing done, I can feel good. You know, I, I move the needle, I push things forward. So if, if nothing else gets done, what is the one thing that needs to happen that day? And I think when you're just throwing stuff down on a list uh, willy nilly, then you know you like I said, you can you can get lots of stuff done, but it's not the things that are important. And, and, and this is quite common because often the things that are important are, are the scariest or the most difficult. And we, we, we innately are a little bit afraid or intimidated by them. And those are the things we procrastinate about. And so I think it's, it's critical to identify, you know, what's important mm -hmm. and if at all possible, get that done first. Yeah. And a lot of those little things, I mean, we, we often, you know, favor those because, once we complete a, a task that's small and easy to do, we, we sort of feel good and it gives us a bit of an uplift. But 
um, yeah, certainly that, that's been my practice and I've found great benefits in just really focusing on the couple of most important things to me and, and really just going with them and all the other things have just sort of disappeared from my schedule over, over time in doing that. Um, and, you know, previously I, I used to find that they were critical, that I had to do them. Um, and since I started focusing on just the one or two important things every day, um, I found that they, they didn't really matter and, and since then have been let go completely. Uh, I think it was Warren Buffett who said that, uh, you know, the most successful people say no to almost everything. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, and there's there that might be extreme, but there is something to that where, you know, there's just so much stuff that isn't important, um, you know, isn't going to really make a difference. And sometimes we gravitate towards that because we want to feel productive without without really doing the challenging things. And so I think, you know, priorities are key. Saying no to uh, saying no to everything. I just had that. I just had another interview this morning, and uh, it came up. You know, being learning how to say no effectively, um, and I sort of related to you know being able to say no um, to yourself, to to your to, to the inner self talk that tells you what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing. Um, being able to look at that critically and say no, you know, not listen to it because that often drives us towards or away from certain things uh, in life as well. Oh, I mean, uh, when I interviewed uh, when I interviewed Joseph Goldstein, who's one of the uh, leading leading people on uh, leading people in terms of meditation and mindfulness. Oh, awesome! Yeah, yeah. He said that you know that that voice in your head, you know, when your when your brain is sort of obsessed with something, you know, the the big question from a mindfulness perspective is to ask yourself: Is this useful? Because your brain is going to produce a lot of these thoughts and you have to ask yourself, is this, is this really useful? Because sometimes we, we get caught in a spiral thinking about things that, that seem important and they're not. And then it's, it's, it, 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 it totally hijacks our thought process. And then something else comes along and oh my God, and that becomes the most important thing in the world. And you're obsessed with that and terrified about that. And, and the, oh, and then there's something new and that's terrifying. And you just realize if you step back for a second, how fleeting, you know, these, these things, these, these fears, these concerns, that voice in your head, how fleeting they are. And yet over and over again, we, we think this is the most important thing in the world, but it's only to be replaced by the next, you know, most important thing in the world. Until the next thing comes <laughs> Exactly. And, you know, we spend so much of our lives like this. So to step back and say, you know, is this useful? Um, it's kind of a good check on that voice in your head. Yeah. I guess it's, you know, it's, it's, Again, like most things, easier said than done. But um, what is how do what are your strategies for assisting others or yourself even to connect with what's important? Obviously, you talk about values, but what are your yeah? What are your particular strategies or thoughts on that? I mean, I, I think everybody needs to, in terms of you know, in terms of success, I think everybody needs a personal definition of yeah. success. Very often, we we get handed this uh, idea of success by you know, society, when we're, when we're young, perhaps our parents, um, you know, uh, educational, uh, institution or, or, you know, or employer. And we need to ask ourselves what's really important. And then another key thing, again, to go back to the happiness research is if you look at, um, the research on signature strengths, basically, what is it that you're uniquely good at? Um, you know, we, if we focus on our signature strengths, the things that we are, we are uniquely good at, the more time you spend doing those, the happier you'll be. And if you look at uh, uh, some of the research uh, from uh, Pete Drucker, one of the you know leading uh, you know thinkers on management in the 20th century, 
Uh, he basically said that that it's easier to double down on your strengths than to bring up your weaknesses. And again, if you know what's important to you, if you spend more time on the stuff you're good at, um, you know, you will actually be happier. You know, you will you will be increasing a skill set that will be valuable uh, as opposed to being a, a jack of all trades. Mm. And and again, uh, Cal Newport, if you look at uh, some of the some of his writing, uh, you know, there's research that basically says uh, that, you know, rather than rather than pursuing, you know, a very unlikely uh, passion, uh, we become passionate about the things we're good at, the things we're good at. So following our strengths uh, often works out better than following than following our passions, which might be un- unlikely to you might you might not be a professional become a professional basketball player or, or, or a singer, but we become passionate about our strengths uh, easier than we become uh, strong with our passions. Right. Okay, so I just had a question about. No, it's just slipped me. Damn it. Um, no problem. Oh yeah, sorry. So in, in regards to focusing on your strengths, it, it really you know and and sort of you know not disregarding, but just not um, trying to put too much energy effort towards your weaknesses. That relates to skill more particularly than it does to y- your character. Is that right? Because I've I've just been reflecting on this recently, and I I feel that um, you know as it relates to skill, yes, yeah, certainly focus on your strengths. Um, and not so much on the weaknesses, but as it results, as it relates to your character, I think we need to really assess our character's weaknesses to continually improve in life. Uh, no, I, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. That's a very good distinction to make. I think in terms of skills, uh, yes, you know, if you are, if you're an intensely creative person, uh, but very disorganized, uh, from a from a skills perspective, you would be better to spend more time on your creativity. And to hire an assistant to handle your organization, yeah. uh, you know that would be the optimal uh, use of your your time uh, from a skill perspective. Yes, in terms of character, you know, then then ignoring your weaknesses uh, can be can be lethal. So uh, I totally agree. Yeah, cool. What um, so how do you go? Or what, what's your advice you'd give to the audience listening about how to go about defining what success means to them? I think success, you know, is first and foremost, like I said, it, it, you need a personal definition of success. If you're, if you're, if you're, uh, if you're, if you're getting it like a suit right off the rack, uh, that's not good. You, you, you want it tailored because, you know, other, otherwise you're, you're not thinking about who you are. Uh, you go back to the Oracle of Delphi, it's know thyself, you know, right. what, what, what do you enjoy? What are you good at? What's meaningful to you? Um, because if you just follow society's definition of success, then, you know, very often it's going to come down just to money or career advancement. And we all know that, you know, so much of happiness comes from our relationships and you can, you can be a, you can be a, a successful, uh, investment banker, or you can be a successful parent. Um, you know, both of those, uh, are success. So we need to step away from success merely being an issue of career. So I think what becomes critical after that, uh, once you have a personal definition of success is, you know, look at what's important to you, look at what your, your, where your strengths lie, where your interests lie, and then aligning that with, uh, picking the right pond, basically figuring out an environment that value that has the same values you do, that appreciates the strengths you have so that you can be successful. Because if you're someone who, you know, who, uh, you know, who, who, uh, who has, you know, great skills uh, in one area and, and personal values in one area, 
you don't want to work for an organization that really doesn't appreciate those or doesn't need those or that ethically isn't aligned with, with who you are. So I think the issue of alignment is critical. You know, what are your values? You know, what are your strengths? Finding an organization, a group, a career that is aligned with those. Uh, and I think that's the best way to reach uh, a personal definition of success. Okay. What is your personal definition of success? Um, I want to keep learning and growing. Um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I, I think I've, I've done a pretty good job of, you know, of just reading and learning and distilling information. I want to talk to the smartest people, uh, I can, um, you know, distill that, learn it and, and share that with other people. And, you know, if you look at, uh, you know, happiness, if you look at the research, uh, by, uh, Jennifer Acker and, uh, Roy Baumeister, you know, uh, happiness and meaning overlap, but they're not the same thing. Mm. Uh, happiness can actually be selfish, you know, uh, just getting more, more cool stuff, getting more money, uh, can, can, can bring you some happiness, uh, but it doesn't bring meaning, you know, meaning, meaning sometimes requires sacrifice and it, it almost always has a benefit to others. And so for me, you know, I enjoy learning. I, I enjoy looking at this information, talking to, uh, to experts in their field. Uh, but the meaningful component for me is being able to share that information, uh, share those learnings with other people so that they can better themselves. Yeah. Okay. I like that too. It's a really good, um, really good, uh, yeah. Point to, to discern the, you know, the, the difference between happiness and meaning. Um, and certainly happiness can be very selfish, can't it really in, in pursuit what what are some of the myths behind success as we know it that you've and I don't want to give too much away of your book it's a lovely um lovely big read um what are some of the myths that you'd like to sort of mention or touch on I, I know we've covered a great deal of content already um one of the things is uh, in the sixth chapter I talk about the issue of work-life balance and uh -huh. and dealing with that conundrum because it's it's one I think a lot of people struggle with and you know uh and the research is really interesting because on one hand if you look at it, for the most part, yes, the more you work, the better you do. But that makes people think that they're on a nonstop treadmill. And uh, what the research also shows is that those people do better in their careers, but they usually end up sacrificing relationships. And that's where so much of our happiness comes from. So kind of a a good what's interesting is there have there have been distinctions made so you have some people who make the mistake of what is called a collapsing stra a collapsing strategy so their metric uh for uh success they collapse it all into one metric so it's like money make the number go up and that's an unsuccessful uh strategy for work life balance and for overall happiness and success in life because you know money does not encapsulate relationships meaningfulness it doesn't, it doesn't, it can't include all that stuff. So the collapsing strategy of a single metric for what you need to do doesn't work. The other problem people mm. have is they will do what's called a sequencing strategy where first I'm going to, I'm going to be really successful and then I'm going to focus on my relationships and then I'm going to give back. And that doesn't work either because life, life, life has twists and turns and doesn't, doesn't, and then kind of laughs when we make such a strict schedule. So what has been what has been shown, if you look at the work by uh, Stevenson and Nash at Harvard Business School, the the best uh, people who do find uh, a, a good balance in terms of uh, career and personal life uh, actually balance. They do their best to balance four metrics. Number one is happiness, which is are you enjoying what you're doing? The second is achievement, getting ahead in your career. 
The third is significance, which is, is what you're doing uh, creating a, a you know, positive benefits for the people you love, the people who love you? And then fourth is legacy. That is, are you making the world a better place? Now, it seems tricky to balance four metrics, but if you just look at your, how you're spending your time, if you're de depositing a little bit in each one of those four buckets of happiness, achievement, significance, and legacy, then you're going to find that you're, you're living a much more balanced uh, life that is going to produce uh, happiness, meaning, success, mm. all of those wonderful, wonderful things by, by finding, uh, by, you know, by making sure that you're, 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 you're increasing in every one of those four. I love it. And certainly that's uh, the opinion of mine as well, to have a balance over those sort of key uh, principles of life um, as far as, as improving the quality of your life matters. Um, mate, look, it's fantastic. And, and I look forward to reading your book. I just want to remind the audience, check it out, Barking Up the Wrong Tree. I'll stick the, the book link in the show notes at thehiddenwide.com as well. And, um, you know, guys, go out there and pick up yourself a copy. It sounds like a very fascinating read. Eric, I want to jump into some questions now just to wrap up the show here today. What, uh, and the first question is, what routines do you have that you believe contribute to your success? Um, I'm a big believer in, uh, in routines. And my, my, my critical one is uh, just having a morning ritual. And the two key elements uh, of that for me are, number one, um, prior, what's my main priority for the day? What's the main thing I need to accomplish? defining that. And then second is, uh, you know, is attitude is getting my head on straight, you know, and for that, I, I rely on mindfulness, uh, mindfulness meditation, uh, to just kind of calm my mind because I don't, I don't want to go into the day being reactive. I don't want to be responding. Uh, I, I know what my, once I know what my main priority for the day is, I want to, I want to impose my will on, on my schedule, my life with, with my key priority. I don't want to be responding to emails, responding to requests. So trying to, to, to limit that reactivity and to know, uh, what is really critical to accomplish that day. That's my morning ritual. And that's, that's the, the, the routine that really, really keeps me steady. Oh, I love it. And well explained. What advice would you give your 20 year old self? Um, my 20 year old self, I would, I would focus on, uh, that, that balance between, uh, between grit and quit. Uh, between making sure that I'm, I'm not flitting around all the time, uh, you know, uh, jack of all trades, master of none, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm spending some time to really, really get good at something, to really develop skills. But on the flip side, that I am spending a defined amount of time, maybe 10%, to try new things, especially when you're young. Maybe, maybe you want to bump that up when you're younger to 15 or 20%, uh, to try new things, to learn, to grow, to explore. Um, you know, finding that balance, uh, is, is really critical because I think most people end up in, uh, one extreme or the other. And, and that's really not optimal. Absolutely. Now you've mentioned some thoughts on proactivity and effectiveness. What is one particular piece of advice you'd give the audience to help them create more effectiveness or, or be more proactive in their day? Uh, one thing I think is, is very, is very valuable. Uh, it's also very depressing, but it's, but it's quite valuable <laughs> is, uh, is, is to spend a week and, uh, track your time. Just, just spend a week and, uh, every hour, uh, you know, say, what was I doing? And then, you know, after the week is over, look at that list 
And you'll, you'll, like I said, it can be depressing. Uh, you're probably not uh, accomplishing as much or being as productive or focused as you think. But it's very valuable to, to, to see those hot spots, to see those areas where, geez, what do you know? You know, uh, I'm, I'm really productive uh, late afternoon. Never would have guessed that. Or to say, you know, my God, whenever I get back from lunch, I start screwing around. And, and for the next two hours, I, I just get nothing done. Once you can see those patterns, uh, then yeah. you can just to address them. So I think tracking your time uh, for a week and looking for hotspots is is really powerful productivity advice. Yeah, powerful uh, self assessment, and as you said, it's a painful process to go through, but the benefits that come from it um, are outstanding. So yeah, good good uh, advice. What would be one piece of advice you'd give someone looking to make change in their life? I would I would say build habits, uh, because I think a lot of people, um, they really read a lot of self-improvement stuff and it, it makes them feel good. Uh, but feel good does not necessarily mean you're implementing it. So I think what's critical is, is implementing those changes you want to make on a consistent basis. And I think, uh, one of the best ways to do that, and this is something from BJ Fogg at Stanford, um, is what he calls minimum viable effort. So MVE, uh, you're trying to build a habit. Look at the smallest thing you can do to consistently make that a part of of your daily routine. So, so you know, if you want to read more, you know, I'm, I'm going to read. I'm going to read one page. I'm going to read one page of a book every day, and that's much better than than reading 50 pages for two days and then five days you can read it. <laughs> so it's like just just minimum viable effort. What is the smallest incremental change I can make and be consistent and then try and up that to, to, to the, to the, the final goal that you want. That's a much better way of going about behavior change than, uh, than jumping in with both feet and then failing and getting depressed or being inconsistent. So I think minimal viable effort in terms of building habits is, is a great way to make sure the change sticks. Yeah. I love it. Ah, really cool stuff, mate. And what is your favorite food? Uh, probably cheeseburgers. <laughs> it's not, not the, probably not the healthiest thing, but, uh, but I gotta be honest. <laughs> yeah, no, that's cool. Well, what's your favorite leisure activity? Uh, I love to read, uh, luckily, uh, cause otherwise my job would be, would be far more difficult. So, uh, so I'm very passionate about learning. I can, I can, I can tell too, mate, you're very well researched and, um, yeah, it's, it's certainly comes through in the interview. What, what is one of your favorite books or a book you've recently read that you'd like to recommend for the audience? Um, uh, might not be my favorite book of all time, but one book that just really, uh, really blew me away and, uh, captured my attention was, uh, Yuval Noah Harari's Sapiens, which is basically, uh, kind of just encapsulates the history of, of mankind in just a few hundred pages. Um, and it's a, a mind blowing, a mind blowing book that will, will keep you thinking for, for months after you read it. Yeah, I'll stick that in the show notes. <clears throat> I finished it um, earlier this year, and, and I've got to say it's my best. It's my favorite book of all time now. Um, I just can't believe how how he managed to get so much gold or value <laughs> into that book. I really – and sync it so well. Um, yeah, and I'm still, like you said, crushing it, and I probably will for the remainder of my life. <laughs> it, it really is a powerful book. I'll stick it in the show notes, guys. Check it out, and um, I'll stick Eric's book in there as well, so you can use uh, the links there to purchase it through Amazon if you wish. What is a favorite quote, Eric? 
Uh, one quote that has always inspired me in terms of my, my blog and the book uh, is a quote by William Gibson where he said, the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. And I totally believe that's true because when I started looking for answers in terms of uh, improving my, li- my life, improving the lives of others and achieving success, um, I found that a lot of questions we all have have already been answered uh, in a lot of the scientific research. Uh, but it's tucked away in, uh, in you know, uh, dusky journals or uh, the ivory towers of academia. And we have a lot of answers to these questions, but most people don't have access to them. And so I, I think that's that's a, a very important, important thing that because it encourages us to search and to look rather than to, to think that a lot of the things we're dealing with are, are just mysteries that will will never be solved. They're not mysteries. They're puzzles. Mm-hmm. They're they're things that can be solved. So uh, so that was really important to me. Yeah, I like it. Cool, mate. And do you believe we all have a why? Uh, I I believe that we need to we need to make one. Um, I. I think that uh, I believe that the why is, uh, you know, science gives us the how, uh, but we but the why is something we need to personally determine. And if you look at the work of uh, Viktor Frankl, you know, uh, that issue of, of meaning of why we're here, of purpose is uh, is just essential. And so I think determining your why, figuring out your story, mm. uh, that's something that most of us are not most of us do, but we're not we're not conscious of it where it's not a deliberate process. And I think we can all make our lives better by making that a more deliberate thing that we do by deliberately thinking about what, uh, what your why personally is. Yeah. Very well answered. And what is your, or what does living life with passion and purpose mean to you? Um, living, living a life with, with passion and purpose, uh, you know, it just ties into, you know, what, what excites me? What am What am I good at? Um, you know, how is my time best spent? Because the you know the research and my personal experience uh, shows that the more time I spend uh, doing what I'm good at, doing what excites me, uh, the happier I'm going to be. And when I'm when when you're happier, you're more productive. And you know, I I just want to spend time learning and sharing that that information with others. And so to me. Uh, that, that, that is my passion and, uh, helping other people that, that gives me purpose. Nicely said, Eric, how can people best reach you and find out more about your work? Um, they can, uh, if you just, uh, Google, uh, barking up the wrong tree, that's my blog. Um, if, uh, on Amazon, uh, my book is uh, same title, barking up the wrong tree, or they can Google my name, Eric Barker, uh, and they'll be able to, uh, to, to find, uh, more, more of my work. Cool, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for connecting. Guys, check out all the show notes at thehiddenwire.com. I'll stick all the links in there to Eric's website, books, etc. Um, so you can check that out at thehiddenwire.com. Eric, any final thoughts? Uh, no, I think we covered a lot. I really appreciate uh, really appreciate uh, you t- taking the time to talk to me. It's been amazing, mate, and I appreciate your insight and your value. You've uh, given me a lot of thought and, uh, and value to take away in my own life, so thank you. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Guys, check it out, thehiddenwhite.com. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels. 
is in the icons on the platform that you're listening to the Hidden Wire podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwire.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcast. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden why this is the hidden why my name is Lee Mutti until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon